Blog Talk Radio. I'm here today to announce the criminal indictments against four State of New Jersey Department of Corrections officers assigned to the Edna Mahan Women's Prison in Union Township, New Jersey. Senior Corrections Officers Jason Mays, Anwar Dixon, Brian Ambrose, and Thomas Seguine have been indicted for a total of 26 counts in relation to the sexual abuse of eight female inmates. Also of note is the recent sentencing of Edna Mahan Institutional Trade Instructor Joel Hirschgaff. The Honorable Angela Borkowski sentenced him to three years incarceration for official misconduct in relation to a sexual encounter with an inmate. In these cases, the victims were particularly vulnerable as inmates. The corrections officers had complete power and control over every aspect of their lives behind bars. We have in our society a system of punishing those who violate our laws. And when imprisonment is the punishment, it is our corrections officers that must carry out the duty of ensuring the welfare, safety, and security of the inmates. All inmates have a right to be safe within the institutions where we, as a society, demand they be detained. The public trust is violated and everyone is betrayed when a sworn law enforcement officer violates the oath he or she has vowed to uphold. I'm very concerned that we have uh, four corrections officer and an institutional uh, instructor uh, that engage in this activity, and uh, we take it very seriously, and that is why uh, we were motivated uh, to pursue this investigation and to bring these matters uh, to, to indictment. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, and tonight we take a second look at abuse in our prison system, and now a series indefinitely, Voices Behind the Wall, we tell the stories that are in reality destroying a lot of people and a lot of families, and that abuse must be exposed. AJC Radio kicks off that tonight. We take off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Cliff Stewart, Lisa Stewart, Dennis Merritt, William Williams, and the entire AJC radio team tonight, folks. And, folks, I'll tell you right now, this is something that uh, must be talked about, must be stated clearly, and we're going to do it. And I'll tell you what, we have enough material to last us for quite some time, and we're going to talk about that. As you know, AJC radio, our purpose from the beginning of the inception of AJC radio and a just cause was to stand out and stand up against the injustice that is suffered in our criminal justice system today and has been going on for a long time. Our purpose was one thing, to get information to the American people, to people all over the country and around the world 
about the injustice that continues to grow out of control. That is our focus, that is our purpose, and that is our mission to inform everyone of the injustice that is suffered in this system. And we deal with the voices behind the wall. What, what, what is the wall? Prisons, jails across this country that most people are not allowed into to see the abuse, to see what's going on, to see the death and the horror that happens behind the wall. We will expose that corruption tonight and going forward on this radio program. And uh, we're very happy uh, that uh, our legislators in Congress are having a conversation about prison reform. We've had an opportunity to sit down and talk with several members of Congress. That will continue to happen as we bring this to their attention. And this is the poster child, really, of what you'll hear on this show tonight and going forward in the weeks, months, uh, and years to come about the abuse that's going on in our prison systems and why that is the reason and the sole reason why prison reform must take place and it must happen right away. And, uh, William, as we get into this conversation tonight, I'll tell you, these stories are heartbreaking. Are, we're talking about guards behind the death and torture of inmates across this country. Uh, we're going to get into some very serious conversation, but as I said a moment ago, this is conversation that has to happen because I'll tell you what, there's an illusion out there that the prison system uh, is always seems to be not that bad. They have three meals a day. They're getting medical care. They're getting all of these things as they do their time. That is a complete and total lie. We're going to expose that tonight as well. William, yeah. your thoughts? Well, you know, like you said, this is a topic that we really need. We need our listeners to understand this. I mean, it, it's okay for you to sit on the outside and say, yeah, you know, they're, they're going through, they're being rehabilitated, they get three meals and they get medication. That's fine on the outside. But until you have to actually experience that, you, feel you are experiencing basically the mistreatment, the torture of the prisoners, the, the, the food uh, that is not fit for human consumption. These are just a few of many things that these prisoners are facing, and there's no sense of humanity. There's no sense of compassion towards these people. Uh, there's not a, even a, a, a understanding of, uh, or even understanding, excuse me, that says, you know what? These people need a different way. Let's give them an opportunity. Let's give them a chance. You know, they don't have a chance. It, it, and they're always being looked down upon. And it's, it's well, terrible. And, and it, is, it even goes, Dennis, beyond the chances. We're talking about murder. We're talking about assault. We're talking about rape. We're talking about inhumane things happening, cover-ups happening, and no justice being rendered to these people who are inflicting this type of pain. Mentally ill inmates being killed in prisons, tortured, medication being refused, people dying as a result of that. We're going to share a story, Prison Legal News. I'll tell you what, folks, hats off to Prison Legal News for putting it out there in their publication. Some of the things we're going to share, they're the source of a lot of this information uh, that we're going to be sharing with the American people uh, tonight. And uh, to all of our listeners, again, not only American people, folks around the world who tune into this program, we're going to give you an opportunity to please feel free to call in, give us your thoughts, your opinions. Uh, and that, the number you can call in is 646-200-0628. 
So we're going to not only deal with those type of uh, abuses, but the abuse really as we go on from week to week, dealing with the injustice of the RP, some of the stuff those folks have suffered, the RP5, unbelievable family members suffering at the hands of the Bureau of Prison Facilities in this country, namely Florence, Colorado. We're going to deal with that. There's a lot we're going to be talking about. Folks, tell your family, your friends, everybody that you know to tune into these programs because I'll tell you what, it's going to make you probably outraged. It's going to change the brainwashing effect, if you will, that society has been given this false notion or false perception that, uh, well, our prisons really aren't that bad. We got a really good system. Spend a day. Spend a day in in, in America's prisons, and we'll see how nice they are. Uh, And we're going to talk about uh, so many things. I I, I don't even have uh, enough time in this show to run down all that is coming soon to this radio show and what we intend to address and what a just cause uh, will set out to do, as we have done from day one, uh, a new fire, if you will, has been lit to go after, to expose, and to address these injustices that have really family members, many of them, have no idea the suffering and the torture that's going on uh, in our prisons across this country. It's not right. It's inhumane. Uh, we're going to address those issues. And uh, again, feel free to dial in to the show. Dennis, your thoughts as we get ready to take off here on such a very important uh, series of shows here that needs to address these issues. Again, I think this is going to be great. Uh, it's going to be very informative. Uh, we need to let the American people know that uh, those things that we can't see, uh, you know, the the, 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 the cock, you know, the mistreatment of these inmates, you know, uh, because that supposedly they committed a crime, now they're, they're treated worse than animals. I mean, when we talk about food, we talk about health care. We talk about all these things. You're going to find out tonight that there's some stuff going on behind these prison walls that must, must be, uh, a light must be shown upon so that the American people know that we got to fix this. Uh, prison reform, uh, not just intake of, of prisoners, but uh, getting them out of there and then making sure that uh, they're treated fairly and humanely. Excuse me. No, absolutely right. And we're going to address... Uh, all of those issues tonight. We're going to be joined, and we're fortunate tonight uh, to have two guests coming on with us. It's going to get into this discussion with us. Uh, Natalie Cohen is going to be joining us. Uh, she's a she's a, a founder of Prison Lives Matter, uh, and she's addressing uh, the, uh, her purpose is to uh, uh, raise awareness on the conditions and failures. Uh, in this case, in her case, what she's dealing with uh, of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice and promote positive change through prison reform efforts. A lot of things going on in Texas when you talk about different types of things that are happening, and this trend of abuse is happening across the country. It is a, it is a domino effect uh, that's taking place uh, across this country. So uh, on the other side of the break, folks, we get ready for this show. Get everyone you know. Make a phone call. Tell them to log in. Tell them to dial in. This is a humdinger that has to be talked about. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? 
Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. Say goodbye to affordability and say hello to losing control. Discover Price Gougesol, the latest outrageously expensive drug from Big Pharma. It's impossible to afford and reverses the ability to pay other bills. Because drug companies raise prices to pay for commercials like this one, side effects may include overdrawn bank accounts, bad credit scores, higher health care costs, children who don't get Christmas presents, and in some cases, the need to stop taking your medicine. If you experience any of these side effects, contact your financial advisor right away. Out-of-control drug costs are no joke. Yet nine of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend more on advertising than research and development. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to one out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are one out of three. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear, there's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. Over a 
million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. There's a lot of mud when it rains here, and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because we don't speak the language, it might be hard for them to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. Broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round. You can't find a fighter, but I see it in you, so we can walk it out. Ladies and gentlemen of America, AJC Radio tonight deals with issues and going forward, the voices behind the wall. We become that voice. We become that heartbeat of those that cannot speak, cannot fight for themselves. Because those in authority, those who are there to assure safety and fairness, have become abusers of those behind the wall. AJC Radio and Adjust Calls will continue in this effort to make the American people and our listeners around the world aware that change must come. We will address these issues as it is necessary. As people really continue to die in our prisons across this country, we must address those issues. Not only are they killed, they are tortured. They are put in solitary confinement. They are left there. One gentleman who we'll talk about later in this show, 24 years in solitary confinement. And I'll tell you what, folks, that's inhumane. It's, un, it's uncomprehendable that you're left in a space so small time for 24 years. 
And many of them are spending more time than that. And when they come out of there, you wonder if they can survive the mental stress of trying to continue to go forward. We'll address those issues tonight. And I'll tell you, this is a story out of Prison Legal News where a $437,500 settlement was granted for a brutal beating at a Missouri jail. It says here, a pretrial detainee who was brutally beaten without cause by guards at Missouri's Jackson's County Detention Center accepted a $437,500 settlement to his civil rights suit. James J. Ramirez was being held in the medical wing at, JD, at JCDC after his arrest on a probation violation. He was suffering from alcohol withdrawal when around 7 p.m. on July 4th, 2015, he was walking through the unit unaware of his surroundings and disoriented. According to guard Shaven Brown, who documented the entire incident, Ramirez did not pose any threat to provoke the brutal attack that ensued. As Brown observed and, and the surveillance video cameras recorded, guards Terrence Dooley Jr., Travis Hewitt, and Dakota Pierce used extreme and excessive force to restrain Ramirez. They slammed him against the wall and repeatedly punched him in the face, adamant, and his back. They need him in the back and sides of his ad, 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 excuse me, abdomen. Once Ramirez was on the ground, Hewitt pressed his knee into Ramirez's neck while Pierce jammed his knee into his back. Because they knew the surveillance camera was making an audio recording, the guards deceitfully and repeatedly yelled, stop resisting. According to Ramirez's lawsuit, the beating did not stop until guard Irene Haynes sounded a warning that another staff member was approaching. At that point, Hewitt and Pierce changed Ramirez's position to make it appear they were following policy. Ramirez was returned to a holding cell and did not receive any medical care. Shortly thereafter, Hewitt and Pierce were joined by another jailer, Jen L. Poulos, as they removed Ramirez from the cell and continued to assault him. The complaint alleged that Dooley, Hewitt, and Pierce, and Poulos bragged about the beating and boasted they would not be reprimanded. Their comments and attitude speak to the culture and climate of JCDC and the belief by JCDC employees that they would never be held accountable, even for vicious and illegal behavior, Ramirez stated in his suit. Cliff, when you hear that, and this is, let me be very clear on this. This, and I'm going to finish that, but this is one of many issues and the, the, the fact that they had the state of mind to move this inmate's body to make it appear that he was in, they were following procedure. And the fact that audio was being recorded, oh, quit resisting to kind of solidify. What, you have to be a sick person. And you mean to tell me this premeditated act of abuse goes unpunished criminally? How is that possible? And that's the thing that, you know, you look at these situations that happen behind the wall and, and these different abuses and the levels of abuse and how the guards and the correction officers, they get more and more blatant, more and more brave about these levels of abuse, all the way from beating an inmate to uh, boiling an inmate alive in a shower to, uh, you know, basically killing an inmate 
And then the the thing that really you know says that these are these are premeditated, like you said, that they take the bodies, uh, you know, put them in positions that oh well, we have this individual he hung himself, or uh, you know he locked himself in the shower in a prison. And these are the type of things that we have to attack because the American people think like, oh, you know, a person goes to prison, they're, be ta- they're, they're being taken care of, they get three squares, a, a comfortable place to sleep, and the administration, you know, the uh, prison administration is taking care of them. That is not, uh, I was going to say that's not always the case, but that's not typically the case. Typically, there is some abuse going on, and you look at these prison guards that want to take it upon themselves to punish a person that's in prison. And it's bad enough if a person is guilty and they're in prison, their, their freedom has been taken away. That is the punishment for a crime that's been committed is that you take my freedom away. I'm away from my family. I'm away from society. But then you have some prison guards that want to take it upon themselves to, you know, punish a person that's in prison. Now imagine the person who's, in their wrongfully convicted, the person who's fighting for their freedom and saying, okay, I did nothing wrong. And, and I mean, we have many people who have been exonerated for committing uh, no crime. In, in 2017, we had record exonerations, meaning people were let out in record numbers for being in prison for no reason at all, that they never committed the crime that they were put in there for. But these same people get abused by the guards, by the uh, prison staff, and it is, I mean, it has to be attacked. It has to be dealt with. It has to be exposed. And, you know, it starts at the top from the, 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 uh, the warden has to put in place, you know, um, get rid of the culture of abuse in the prisons and say it's not going to be stood for. And the public has to cry out to say, no, these are still uh, these are still American citizens. These are still our family members. You're not going to get away with abusing them and treating them. Uh, you know, less than humans. I mean, in some of these situations, people don't treat animals like this. I mean, they they treat dogs better. They treat uh, they treat animals in a shelter better than this that are going to get an injection and be put to sleep. They get treated better than a human being, and that's just not acceptable. Dennis, your thoughts on that? I mean, it's true. I mean, you abuse a uh, abuse a pet, uh, abuse an animal. Uh, you're going to do some time, and it's going to be all over the news. Uh, but when you abuse a prisoner, uh, nothing said. Uh, this 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 mentality that uh, prisoners are animals and that they don't deserve uh, any any good thing, and that you know no matter what uh, they deserve what they get. And I mean that's the attitude. And until we change the attitude, until these family members and and, and people like a just cause, uh, I mean, get out there and put it out and let people understand that hey, it's not right. People don't tend to cry until it's in their in their family or in their backyard. Uh, we need to cry out now and make sure people understand that what's happening behind these prison walls is wrong and it needs to be corrected. And these prison these guards that you know go and do something that is not right, they need to pay for it. I mean, well, if you don't ahead, make them, if you don't make them pay, if there's no consequences, it's never going to change. This is a crime. You assaulted this man, beat him without cause. They should be in prison. If I do that today, if I go out this front door, go next door to the business, and bring a guy out and beat him senseless, 
I am going to jail. Exactly. You have guards standing in the room laughing and saying they're not going to be held accountable. And even after they put Ramirez in the cell, they pulled him back out and continued to beat him. And you think we got the best system in the world? Think again, folks. It's not the best system. The reason we think that, because we are hid. The, the truth is hidden from us of what's happening in these prisons. It's not something you hear. This stuff should be on every major news network in this country. We should be saying breaking news. Inmate gets beat almost to death. If In some cases, he is beat, beaten to death. Why is that not reported? Because, and our next guest will, will really, it's perfect timing for to bring her on this show. Natalie Cohen, founder of Prison Lives Matter, will give her perspective on this as we get into this conversation. This, this, this really makes my blood boil. And I'll tell you what, we're very honored and, and privileged to have uh, Natalie join us. Natalie, thank you so much for uh, 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 coming on this show and being a part of this discussion tonight with us. Thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate being here. Thank you so much, and we appreciate you as well. Natalie, I don't know how much of the show you've heard thus far. Uh, as we address these issues, you're perfect. Uh, what you do is perfect to bring, on, bring to, at least to the attention of people right now on this show, as we have to be the voice for those behind the wall because they don't have a voice. And AJC and A Just Cause has committed ourselves uh, to, be a, to be that voice. And I want to thank you for joining us. Introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us your thoughts on, on this issue of abuse. And, and you're talking about inmates dying, inmates suffering and being tortured. Right. We want your perspective on that. I'm going to give you the floor to introduce yourself and, and give us your perspective on this. So, like you said, uh, my name's Natalie Cohen. I founded Prison Lives Matter Matters back in um, the end of 2016, beginning of 2017, after I left the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. I was a correctional officer there for about six months. Um, the unit I was assigned to is the one that houses the death house in Texas. It's the original standing unit, the first one in Huntsville. Um, as far as inmate brutality, I didn't see as much as other officers at other units did because we weren't a maximum security prison. I, I have friends that did work in the higher security level institutions that they witnessed a lot of brutality, but I did see my fair share of things that really bothered me because when you go to the academy, they teach you all this stuff, and then you get onto the unit, and it's completely opposite of what they tell you to do and what they teach you in the, in the academy classes, and it's just shocking to me that these things are being ignored by the mass public, and I don't think that it's – I think it's a fair – balance between not knowing and not caring because a lot of people especially in texas have this very conservative view on corrections that you're a criminal you should just be locked up and forgotten about because you've done this terrible crime and texas takes a very punitive approach to corrections in that respect um where they aren't really given much rehabilitative opportunities at all so even if stories like this do break out in in news here it's not really given as much attention as it's warranted because people just don't care. So I saw things like there was one example um, 
that was really the turning point for me working in the in the department was there was an afternoon where one of the inmates I supervised, um, I had noticed that this was the third day that he had refused to come out of his cell. And I said to myself, well, he's usually in the day room in the afternoon playing dominoes, calling people, you know, laughing and joking, having his, his best of a life you can behind bars. And now he hasn't come out of his cell for three days. I haven't seen him eat. I haven't seen him go to the showers. I haven't seen him do anything. So they teach you in the academy that if someone has that drastic of a change in behavior, then you need to alert mental health staff because they could be having some suicidal issues. So I called my sergeant down and I said, Sergeant, I'm concerned about this particular offender. I feel we need to alert mental health staff. And the sergeant looked at me and he looked down the row and he looked back at me. And without skipping a beat, he just said, well, what do you care? He's just a convict. And he walked away. And I was just shocked. And I'm thinking to myself that, that being a convict shouldn't automatically mean that you're no longer a person. Because well, at the end of the day, he's still a grown man who lost his mother. I, I came to find out that his mother had passed away. And he's just referred to and kind of written off as just a convict as if that does that means that he doesn't matter as a person. So it's it's things like that. It's wow. the, the sudden dehumanization of offenders behind bars, not yeah. only by society, but, but more specifically by staff, because staff just feel like they, you know, they're, they're taught that all inmates are terrible people and they're all malicious and they're all out to get you for something and they're all going to manipulate you. So you should just treat them like garbage. And I said, I can't do that. I can't go to work for and, and treat a grown man like trash for eight hours a day. And then, go home like nothing happened. Like, that's just not, it wasn't my personality. It's not how I feel corrections should be handled because all that accomplishes is making the offenders who are in there angrier people. So when they get out, they have no rehabilitative skills. They have no basic survival skills, and they're angry. So that's why the recidivism rate is high. That's why there's a lot of, um, in in Texas, there's a a semi-significant issue with offenders attacking staff, and it's because they're mad about the way they're being treated every day. And I would probably be exactly the same way if I was treated as poorly as they are in there for an extended period of time. Wow. And uh, I commend you, uh, Natalie, for that position. And... uh... He's just an inmate anyway. He's just a convict. I think that's what you said, Natalie, that the sergeant said. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I'll tell you what. That is something that you don't say, make that statement and turn it on and off and go to your job and treat those men right in other situations. If your thought right. is when men may be something – his mother died. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you what. I was wrongfully convicted in this state of Colorado. I did seven years in the state prison here. A number of them. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing inmates get a phone call. If the chaplain came in that unit and uh, the sergeant said, hey, you need to go to the chaplain's office. And it's 8 o'clock at night. Somebody's died. Yeah. And I remember... 
seeing that inmate come back, a number of them, several of them, so broken, so shaken, because they lost someone and they're behind that wall. And it's not, again, it's not to say that people have to go to prison because of what they have done, but you don't have to abuse people. The right. fact that a and it's, it's, go ahead, Natalie. It's not how you it's not how you really rehabilitate someone. And the the whole concept of correction started on houses of of repentance and houses of you know trying to essentially correctional institutions were founded on getting closer to God and becoming remorseful for whatever it is that you've done. And it deviated so far from that because it was just economically more, you know, I guess cheaper to just house people and not try to fix them, just lock them up in these huge buildings with as many people as you can fit in there and then just let them sit there for X amount of time. It accomplishes nothing and it's extremely counterproductive. I mean, if you look at the recidivism rate in Texas right now, it's embarrassing. And it's because Texas takes an extremely less punitive approach. And, I mean, side of the extreme is bad, and the other side of the extreme is also not not effective either. So, I, in, in my opinion, it should be, corrections should be a fair balance between punishment and rehabilitation. Because I understand that somebody has committed a crime, you know, um, with the exception of those falsely accused and, and wrongfully convicted, but those that have accepted, you know, the fact that they've committed a crime, they need to be punished for what they've done. But you also need to commit yourself to rehabilitating them or they're going to just get out and do the same things again if they don't learn from their mistakes or if they don't learn how to change their behavior or if they don't learn how to change their thought process, they're going to get out and do the same thing. So you're going to just, it's a revolving door of, prison and free world so for and especially for correctional staff that was one thing that I never agreed with because they would always say well it's not your job to rehabilitate them and I would say well it's not my job to be judged jury and executioner either right you know I'm not I'm not going to come in here and treat them poorly you everybody should have a positive attitude that's the one thing that I loved about my job is that I could have a positive attitude and be a positive influence on someone every day even if it was just one person for eight hours, I, I made a positive impact on that person. And to me, that was worth more than anything you can ever ask for. Because that one person later on is going to remember that I actually cared about whether or not they succeeded in whatever they were doing. And I think a lot of people in there are kind of forgotten about somewhat by society. So what they really need sometimes is for one person at least to care because in general, nobody really does. So that was my take on it when I worked there. No, no, no. And and I'll tell you what your take, uh, this is to be commended because not only are you having these issues in our prisons, you're having them in County jails. You having people dying Mm -hmm. in County jail who have not even, Mm -hmm. it's not right. Regardless, these people have not even been held the presumption of innocence in the county. Mm-hmm. There's been no conviction. And you're still abusing these men, these women. Juveniles are mm-hmm. being abused in our juvenile facilities. 
This is a culture that if people don't crowd against it, and that's why we're going to continue day after day after day to crowd against this type of uh, abuse and, and to have your perspective and, and what you say, look, I'm not here to mistreat these people. These are human right. beings. And that should be the human spirit of every person that puts on a, a correctional officer uniform. Natalie, I'm going to play a clip well, right you. now. You're, you're very, very welcome. And we're going to get more into that. I'm going to play a clip right now. I want you to hear. I'm going to get your thoughts on it. It's tragic sure. what happens here. I'm going to let you hear it. jail and he kept telling the officers that he couldn't breathe they threw him down on the ground and he said I have pneumonia please he wasn't resisting wasn't doing anything he fell on the ground the officer comes in and says well pick him up to his feet they found him the next morning dead in his cell. Natalie, your thoughts? I'm, a, I'm assuming they utilized the OC spray, right? Say that again? Did they spray him? Is that what that was? They maced him. It was with the pepper spray. That's what I thought. Okay. And so that's, that to me is excessive. Yes. If it was me, 
in that situation, I would want to listen to what this offender is trying to tell me before right. making any type of action or judgment. And, and, the issue that, is yes, a lot of correctional institutions, I know, for example, in Texas, they teach uh, that if they are in any way perceived as being resisting, then you are allowed to use a level of force necessary to gain compliance. So that's how, in my opinion, that's how a lot of these use of forces are. That's how they're, they're, they get away with it, I suppose, because they could just say, uh, I was in fear of my life or the inmate was resisting or not complying with my order. Therefore I sprayed him with gas. So that's, um, that's where that comes from. And the bizarre part about it on the video, cause I watched the video in depth when I, when I yeah. selected that clip, you had about seven officers. He's on the ground. The right. officer, and seven the officers officer, for one inmate is, is excessive in itself. What's bizarre is that they had him pit down. He couldn't breathe. The officer comes to the left and spray. The guys, on, and I'm, I'm sitting there looking at this video, they're spray, and he keeps spraying him with the pepper spray. He's, he's, right. not, he's moving, and he's just spraying it like he's spraying some bug spray. Yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking if he's telling you he cannot breathe, he has pneumonia. You spray this man in his face? Yeah. And then he gets up and he says, please, he's walking across the floor. At this point, no people are, are uh, taking him down. He said, please, and he's in there saying, can you give me some water? Can you give yeah. me some water? And I'll tell you right now, this country has some major issues. And they live in a oh, state yeah. of denial. Oh, we're, it's not that. That's somebody's brother. That's somebody's son who you killed for no reason. And they said after they picked him up and put him back in his cell, they never took him to medical to get looked at, to say maybe something's wrong. Didn't even waste their time because he's just another in county jail. Right. And that's the biggest problem is that the the. Anybody who's in custody anywhere, they no longer are considered people. They're just considered convicts or criminals. And it's easier to not care about someone who is not human or perceived as not human than it is for someone who is a person. So if these inmates were humanized in the sense that they are actually people, and if the societal opinion on who they are you know, if it changes from they're just criminals or he's just a convict or, you know, they're in jail, what do you care, to, oh, my God, that's a person. If, if, it, no longer, if it becomes that's an assault on a person, then people will start to realize how bad it really is. And that's, and, and so that's why the, the biggest challenge is rehumanizing people who have essentially been thrown away by society. Yeah. yeah, it's wow. It, it, and you know what's so sad is that hit me in my heart when I heard it and I saw it. And it's one of many. And the culture, yeah. like you said, to mistreat people 
and to treat people like they are animals. If you treat humans mm-hmm. and you lock them in cages and you don't rehabilitate them, as your lying model says, Department of Corrections? No, Department mm-hmm. of Torture. Department yeah. of Hate. Department of Sickness. That's what we're right. dealing with here, with the people who are supposed to do that. And uh, I'll tell you what, there was an issue here in Colorado. And I, I'm going to speak to when you said at the, at the academy, it's totally different. You treat people with mm-hmm. respect, all these things. But then when you go on, on, on the job, in your pre-briefing, it's a totally different story. And, and Cliff, we talked a little bit about uh, Florence, Colorado here, about an officer who had that type of mindset, a, a thing that uh, these are animals or, and his, I believe his name is Correctional Officer Griggs. Cliff? Yes, he was the, uh, the, cap, the camp administrator down at uh, Florence, Colorado. And uh, I mean, this guy was, was beyond a tyrant. When you go in for, uh, for visitation, even on, on a, a Christmas visit, uh, he told people, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll cancel the visitations here. You're talking about Christmas. Yeah. He told when families are there, you know, hugging and greeting each other at the beginning of the, of the visitation, he says, uh, everybody sit down and shut up. This is not a social hour. Well, if you're there to visit your family member, what else is it besides a social hour? And I mean, I mean, you you look at him as the camp administrator, and you say, okay, he's doing this with with you know civilians, with family members, with people who are free. He is he's trying to torment the people in the visiting room. So what is he doing when there is no member of the public there? What is he doing? To the inmates exactly. when they're locked up and their family members aren't there. And then what type of culture is he laying out? Is he accepting from his officers in the time that he was there? Uh, you know, there was a lot of crazy things going on where uh, officers were, uh, you know, uh, one officer was was uh, had had assaulted one of the IRP five uh, put his hand. And, and, you know, for, for those of you who don't know, when you are a visitor. Uh, at any correctional facility, the the corrections officers, the guards, they do not touch you. That is considered assault. If they put their hands on you, you're not an inmate. You're not under their administration. You are there as a visitor. All they can do is ask you to leave. Sure, if if, uh, if an altercation comes, they can uh, break up a fight. But to put their hands on somebody while they're there visiting, that is assault. What, and, and so with the camp administrator Griggs, he just left it that, oh, do what you want in the uh, in the visitation room. The officers, they would come in and, and threaten like, oh, if you don't do it, I'll say I'll take it out on your family member. Yeah, I'll make it hard in here for them. And that speaks, uh, uh, Natalie, to what you said, what they're taught. We got something uh, from, right, one of our research, right. from one of our researchers that says a former prison guard says this. I was taught how to hate them, says John Robert. He tells us that was one of the first lessons he learned when training to become a correctional officer. I was taught to hate them. That is unbelievable to me. But to what you said, Natalie, that's a culture. And if you're taught to hate someone, what breeds from hate? Murder. 
assault, Mm -hmm. rape, violence. And if I'm teaching you to hate, man, oh, man, do we have a problem in this country, Natalie? And you said you were going to be one of the ones that said, you know what? I'm not doing it. Right. Right. (laughs) I want to be a part of that. And Because it's hard for me. I have a very not hardened personality. I have a big heart for everybody and anything. So when you get told, we had a a six six or eight-week academy class, and a majority of that time was preparing us for, you know, all inmates are malicious and they're all bad and you're not supposed to care about any of them. And then you get on the unit and it's like, wow, these are regular people that just made a really bad choice. You know, and I'm not I'm not going to sit here and judge you for it. Let me try to help you fix your problem. And it's funny oh. that you say and I and I love the 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 notion that they're treated like animals, because in, in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, the farm animals are treated better than the inmates. So that to me is just the most disgusting irony I've ever seen. Now, is is that Natalie, if I remember correctly? I read somewhere I'm I'm I read somewhere that the pigs yes. were given an air conditioned facility. Mm-hmm. Yep. While yep. inmates were the dying. The pigs have air conditioning, the cows have air conditioning, the inmates do not. That, yeah. How that And there was a, a huge court case I want to believe I want to say about a year ago of an offender who was convicted of writing a bad check, and I think he had like a 180-day sentence or something, and he unfortunately died nine days in because he had no – he hadn't been able to go to commissary yet to purchase any fans or the cool towels or anything, so he literally baked to death in Dallas. And his I think his final internal temperature was like 109, and TDC just doesn't see anything wrong with it. Because, once again, he's an inmate. So what does it matter? Well, I'll tell you what. I said, well, uh, this particular inmate that you speak of did not deserve to die in prison. I don't believe he was given the death. the heat. How, and, yeah. and this what is, how does, how does the Department of Corrections get away with that? How do you, a man The biggest who, reason... Yeah. Is the Department of Corrections is so big now and so powerful that they're almost untouchable because they they have just expanded so much and nobody has tried to to fight them or challenge them about anything that they've just gotten almost untouchable, almost invincible that they can just get away with anything. I know that in in some of the the big, you know, they call them rock and roll units that are just constantly having uses of forces or fights or anything. There are millions of ways that you can get away with using a use of force. You can even get away with ex- excessive use of force if you write it, write your file just right. And there's, you know, veteran bosses that will be able to say, write it like this and you won't get in trouble. And that to me is the sad part, that they can literally go in there, do whatever they want, and go home at night and sleep like nothing happened. And it just is disgusting. Because like you were saying earlier, if that same thing happened to a man next door, that person's going to go to prison. But if you are a correctional officer with a badge on your shirt, you can do whatever you want and have a free pass. And it shouldn't be like that. No, you're absolutely right. And uh, 
Natalie, I don't, how much time do you have? Can you come back with us, or are you limited on time? No, I can come back, sure. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we got another guest going to be joining sure. us as well. You, you can feel free, Natalie, to get in that conversation. If you have to take off, I'll be kind of asking you if you need to go out of respect for your time. You've been such a help so sure. far uh, on this show, and I appreciate you so much. Ladies and gentlemen of America. Well, I'm glad. Thank you so much. And whew, this, is, this, is, this is hard. The man had 100, if, if Natalie, I heard you correctly, 180 days. He was going home. About that. Yeah. You don't let him get a fan, and you don't turn the air, and he dies? Yeah, he had um, he hadn't been in the system long enough for his commissary to be set up yet, so he wasn't able to go purchase a fan at the time. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, uh, we're gonna take a quick break. Uh, we, we again, we have to believe we have a caller. Yeah, one we moment. Have a, uh, okay. We have a caller uh, who has a comment. Um, his name is David. David, go ahead. You're live. Oh, hi, my name's David. Um, I'm the general manager of AIS, and I'm the incoming director of Texas Cure, which is an in my inmate rights organization. And I actually knew Natalie when she came through training at the Huntsville Walls Unit because I was incarcerated there for approximately six years. And uh, it's interesting because you see how the officers were trained, and when they first start, there's so many of them are so hardcore, and then after they get exposed to the offenders and realize, hey, these are just people, then you actually have two very distinct groups. You have the ones who are extremely abusive, and you have the ones that are like Ms. Cohen, who realize that these are just people, and we don't need to be treating them like dirt. Wow. Absolutely, David. And, and, uh, go ahead, please. Oh, I was going to say, you know, the, the living conditions, especially in the southern states, we have so many places you know, we, when I was at the Telford unit, we had temperatures that reached 144 degrees that were actually documented by the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. And that was the year I believe we had 11 people pass away because of the temperature extremes. And that's one of the reasons Texas Cure is so big on prison reform and trying to push through. We have a, a fan project where we try and get fans to the people who are indigent. Because if you're indigent, how are you going to come up with the $25 to purchase a fan? True. And then you have, you have the units that are transfer facilities where you can't have electronic items such as fans. You, you're not in cubicles where you have electrical outlets. So you're basically in a box being cooked all day because the windows don't open, you can't go outside, and you're stuck in here with 56 people. So we definitely need a lot of change, especially in places like Texas. And I think so that, it's great what uh, what Natalie is doing. No, and I, I think it's great what you're doing, what you both are yeah. doing. And, uh, Dave, if you can, leave your information uh, 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 prior to getting uh, releasing the call, if you can. Leave your information. I'd like to get a hold of you. Uh, and we'll partner together sure. here if we continue. And, Natalie, uh, I have your contact information. But, uh, Dave, I, I can't tell you, thank you for what you're doing, for the efforts that you're making uh, this is unbelievable. You might as well mm-hmm. put folks in an oven and turn it on broil. That's what you might mm-hmm. as well. And to just let a human a human being sit in those conditions. But we'll we'll put you in jail if you leave a dog outside in his car too long. And I love dogs. Mm-hmm. 
But do do not human but, beings deserve the same type of respect? Are you kidding me? Unbelievable. Society says no, and that's the problem. Wow. You know, one thing that's interesting is when you look at the conditions of confinement, like like Natalie said, uh, you know, animals are treated better than people in Texas. Yeah. You know, the cells in most of the prisons, what are they, Natalie, about five and a half feet, five, you know, five and a half feet on average by eight and a half to nine feet deep. If you write something the about like that, do a free, yeah, if you do a freedom of information request, you'll find out that they're required to have a minimum of 21 feet for that, the kennel area of a dog in Texas Department of Criminal Justice. So one dog is required to have double the space of two people. I'm 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 at a loss. Yeah. Uh, wow. Dave, you're welcome to stay on the call if you'd like to stay on and get in the conversation. We're bringing another guest on if you have time. If not, we're going to be back uh, here after the break. But you're welcome to stay in uh, on the call if you'd like. That invitation is open to you if you want to stay on. All right. Thank you. Okay, folks, this is AJC Radio. We're going to be right back on the other side of the break. Wow, and I'm outraged. Outraged. That's that information that was just given us by Dave and Natalie on that situation in Texas. And here's the kicker. That's one state, one facility. Do the math. Do the math. Because that's going on probably in prisons all over Texas. And many other states across this country, we will be the voice of those behind the wall. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. The United States of America incarcerates more people than any other country in the world. In fact, the U.S. hosts more prison inmates than all other developed nations combined. As of 2010, the world population was over 6.8 billion people, with an estimated 9.8 million in jail. This figure, compiled by the International Center for Prison Studies, refers both to individuals held in jail awaiting trials and inmates serving time after sentencing. So there are 9.8 million human beings on planet Earth living inside of cages that we know of. In 2010, the U.S. was home to about 309 million people. 4.5% of the world's total population, but housed 23% of the world's prisoners. So take a moment to think about what this means. It means we imprison more people than enormous autocratic countries like China. We imprison more people than Russia. 
Compared to the size of our population, our rate of imprisonment dwarfs our closest allies, like the United Kingdom, France, and Canada. As of 2010, there were over 1.6 million post-trial inmates serving sentences in America's state and federal facilities. This number does not include those being detained pre-trial or those on probation. The most unique feature of incarceration in America is the large and active role of our federal government. In most countries, crime is reacted to at the local or regional level, whereas the American government finances and legislates a significant portion of law enforcement at the national level. State governments still do their fair share of incarceration, though. California and Texas incarcerate more than other states with over 171,000 inmates each. Florida is a close third with over 103,000 prisoners. But no single state locks up more people than the federal government with over 208,000 inmates. Perhaps the nickname Land of the Free, Home of the Brave, should be updated. Though I suppose you need to be brave to endure the highest likelihood of incarceration the world has ever known. Prisons are not what we think about when we think of America, and they shouldn't have to be. A free nation shouldn't imprison so many people, and a fiscally responsible nation can't afford to. With close to $40 billion a year in state correctional spending, the financial costs are obvious and staggering alone. But the human costs are often underappreciated. 1.6 million fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of American families are incarcerated. It's time for people to realize that the criminal justice system in America is desperately in need of reform. We know you care. Now is time. Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't give justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, my heart hurts and cringes at what we have heard on this program tonight that's happening in this country under the title of corrections. And AJC Radio just calls organization will become the voice of those behind the wall of these institutions. The suffering, the torture, the killings. There's no other way to put it. 
the killings. This is murder. You can put a nice title on it if you'd like. It's murder. When you have the power to change something, man, as Natalie shared with us, 180 days, the guy wrote a, got convicted on a bad check, made a mistake. He was sentenced to 180 days, not the death penalty. That's exactly what he got, the death penalty, for a six-month term in the Department of Corrections. And we are glad to be joined by Dave, Natalie Cohen. And right now, uh, we're going to also bring in this conversation uh, Carol Leonard. Carol, are you with us? I am. Good evening, everyone. Thanks for having me. Good evening, Carol. We're so glad to have you, and I believe uh, we have another young lady, and I'm I'm going to have you introduce yourself here momentarily, Carol, Uh, but there's a young lady by the name of Diane Cliff, I believe, that's on the, the, uh, can you hear us, Diane? Yes. Okay, Diane, really quick, I want to get to you. I know you've been uh, in here for a minute, and then we're going to have Carol come on and get in this conversation with us. Uh, You know Natalie, is that correct? Yes. Introduce yourself to can us. You he- can you hear me? Oh, oh. Yeah, we can hear you good. Yeah. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Diane, and my last name is Johnson, and we have a son in Huntsville Prison. Uh, and uh, so much goes on behind the bars that uh, families don't really know. Talk to us. T.T. Yeah, TTCJ looks at these people as numbers with dollar signs on their back. Uh, our son was laying in his bunk and had a inmate, a cellmate, that really had uh, a bad personality. Our son was giving him $5 out of his money, and we're not very rich, at his commissary to help him and cure his gambling problems. And he tried to help him to get over it. In return for this, what he did, one night he was agitated and our son would not answer him. He grabbed him out of his bottom bunk, because our son has a bad back, and punched him and hit his head against the bars, split his head open, and knocked out his crowns and his front teeth. And there was so much blood, it was all on the second tier all in his cell. They rushed him to the hospital, put staples, did this and everything else. And what they did is they put our son in solitary confinement for fighting. And our son tried to tell him, I wasn't fighting. He spent eight days there. Now, he was supposed to get pain medication. They don't even give him Tylenol. He had to take his own stitches out of his lip. He even cut his lip open. And because our son now is a jailhouse lawyer, a friend of his had money and got the case overturned, and they fixed his teeth. But in return, our son had to promise not to sue him. And this is some of the stuff that goes on behind this. These guards think that they have all this authority and if the warden backs them there's nothing that they, the prisoners can do and with this kind of heat with the short tempers it's all over the unit right you're so right on that diane and, and i'm so sorry uh for what happened 
what you've had to go through uh, as a mother uh, and, and your and, and your husband as a father to deal with this type of abuse and feeling helpless, really, that I can't do anything. And, Diane, I'm going to come right back to you. Give me one moment. I need to get Carol in on this. Carol, introduce yourself to our listeners, if you would. Uh, and as we are all in this conversation right now, uh, I want your thoughts on this as well. Go ahead, Carol. Well, um, I'm Carol Leonard, and I'm the founder of Prison Reform Movement. And we started up back in um, late 2003, and we've exponentially grown due to social media. And we advocate nationally for prisoners, you know, inside and help support families on the outside. And um, what I heard this woman just say is horrifying and unfortunately, it's a nationwide epidemic. Um, you know, it's not just happening in Texas. It's happening all throughout the United States, um, especially in the southern prisons. Um, and some of the stories that we hear on a daily basis are absolutely horrifying, abhorrent treatment, um, things that you wouldn't hear of, or you wouldn't think of hearing would be happening in, in a country like the United States, but they're happening every single day. Um, You know, people are dying needless and preventable deaths in our prisons. And, um, you know, at at times I wonder why did I ever get into this? You know, because after a while hearing these stories, your heart gets heavy. I mean, it's, it's soul-crushing. It really is. And I feel for these families because, like um, the guest just said, you know, families have nowhere to turn for help. There's nowhere to turn for help. You can call your senators, your congresspeople, um, the wardens, the um, administrators of the DOC, and they treat us as though we are not human. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, go ahead, Dave. Is that you? Yes, I was gonna. I was gonna say, uh, Diane. Did you say your son was at the at the Walls unit? Yes. Did she? Because uh, I was on K line when we had a, a man. His first name was Troy. When he actually got assaulted by his celly up on two row. And I was actually about five cells down when that happened. And a lot of people think that when, when uh, an inmate writes home and tells an, a story about something happening, that you know, they, they uh, embellish on the story. I don't know if that's your son, but I can yes. tell you. Uh, I've, okay, it's the same one. I, I was actually there when he was assaulted, when this happened. And one of the worst things was the officers didn't even come to his aid for the right. longest time. And he was, right. I mean, they, there was screaming and there was yelling and everybody was yelling for the officer to come. I don't even know if we had an officer who was actually under the, on the line because they are so understaffed. But I, I knew Troy and I remember not only, it was bad enough that there was uh, the misclassification. He never should have been housed with that person. He was a multiple felon. He had been there for aggravated crimes. Troy is not. Troy, you know, I think this was Troy's first offense. So he wasn't even supposed to be classified with this guy. This guy was much bigger than him. And he actually right. assaulted him with a hot pot. It wasn't just his fist. He beat him with a hot pot. 
And then to top it off, so he had no security, so he had no protection from classification, no protection from security, and then he fought tooth and nail to get into medical, and every time he went down to get his uh, uh, sutures out, they kept turning him around. They lay you at 4.45 in the morning, he'd sit there for hours, and then he finally had to take out, he had to give his his own medical care. And these are the types of conditions that we have. And And when we want to tooth and nail. And when we went to visit him, see, we knew nothing about this. When we went to visit him, we was always contact visit where we could hug and kiss. They said, oh, no, this is over telephone. I had to see our son in a cage like an animal. The cage was barely big enough for a chair to sit in. He could hardly move. Then in the middle of it, he had to go to the restroom. And they said, well, we have to get the guards and everything up here. We can't do that. So we had to cut our visit. But from now on, he calls me every day. If I don't get a call from him, I call him up there. And these people who are poorer than us cannot contact their family or their sons if they don't know what's going on behind those bars. Well, I'll tell you, you what. Know, I want to I I elaborate on a point that Dave made, and I'm sorry for interrupting, but um, he said quite quite explicitly that none of the guards came in when the prisoner was calling for help. Right, and we are seeing that happen nationwide. Um, And I don't know if it's you know we're hearing a lot about keyword short staffing, and uh, I don't know whether it's so much short staffing as much as under training, and they're putting these guards in prisons that they've not been adequately trained for. They don't know how to handle the situations that come up. And they're scared. Well, and some of them, quite well, not frankly, only that, don't care. Exactly. Well, that, and not only that, it's an issue with the fact that um, the particular building that this cell block was on is on the farther end of the building, and there's kind of a hallway balcony type thing in between the two halves of the building, and the officers sit on the other half of this building and the the prisons themselves are so loud that even if somebody screams at the top of their lungs, chances are the officer with the cell block key can't hear them. And individual officers on the individual cell blocks don't have radios. So if something does happen or there is a a fight or in, in Troy's case, the assault, even if there was an officer on his row at the time, Chances are the person with the key and the telephone that would have been able to call for backup can't hear them yelling anyway. And the officer that night was probably having a two-row assignment because I've had those several times where you're you're responsible for, like, K-line and F-line, you know, or, or H and I or whatever it may be, that you're having to go back and forth between the two rows. So for you know, certain periods of time, one row will be completely unsupervised for, you know, an hour, two hours at a time while you're on the other side. So it's understaffing, it's staff not caring, it's the fact that the communication lines are pretty much impossible to get any messages through from one person to another since it's so loud in there. It's it's a a culmination of issues that just, the whole system just needs to be revamped. Well, and at the end of the day, that it is unacceptable for a correctional officer not to have a radio mm-hmm. in any situation. Mm-hmm. 
You have got right. to be out of your mind in these facilities to not have access to a, a radio on your shoulder to, to call in the case of any event. That, that, is, right. that is, the state should be answerable to that. And, right. I, and I'll say this. Let me echo this as well. And Natalie, I agree with you. There's a mm-hmm. lot of issues going on here. And guess what? Most Department mm-hmm. of Corrections in each state have more than enough money. More than enough right. money. They simply do not. Absolutely. Directly. They don't. You know what? These are a bunch of animals, man. Look, we, I, I, I think it was Judge Arpaio, mm-hmm. uh, not Judge Arpaio, Sheriff Arpaio out of Arizona, uh, when they were talking about the, the conditions in Arizona, I've never seen nothing so horrific in my life. That these folks are intense in Arizona heat, and they showed the food that they were feeding these inmates. And I'm going to make a point here. And he said, no, the dogs. Green bologna. I know all about the green bologna, mm-hmm. green hot dogs, and pebble beans. I know all about that food. And you know what he said? The dog food looked better. The dog yeah. food mm-hmm better than what they were feeding these inmates. And and my point is this. You made the point that when you have heat, we were talking about the Texas heat, 144 degrees. Uh, Mm -hmm. Guys are sitting in heat. You don't think they're going to get agitated? You don't think you're helping a situation that's going to spur violence? Listen to this right here. This is another tragedy. And then I'm going to let you guys hear a clip that's going to blow your mind. After 38-year-old Terrell Thomas died from profound dehydration while in solitary confinement in a Milwaukee County jail cell, fellow inmates reported that he had been begging correctional officers for something to drink for a week. A week he was begging for water. An investigating detective testified that according to an inmate, Thomas asked every guard for water because the water in his cell was shut off. Ultimately, on the seventh day, Thomas went quiet, slumped over, and died on April 24, 2016. The investigation into Thomas's death is one of the many lenses magnifying the horrific abuse that is all too common in American jails and prisons today. Degrading treatment of inmates continues to occur across this country with distressing frequency. With that said... Let me let you hear this. I'm going to get a comment from you. The sounds of solitary confinement happening in our prisons right now. Let's mm-hmm. hear it.
Well, there you have it. The sounds of solitary confinement, the horror of solitary confinement. As we Our are... zoos sound more civilized than that. Say that again? Our zoos sound more civilized than that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and the, and the thing is, is that acknowledgement. Was, and this is the rehabilitation they are giving these people when they get out to carry them out through life. They will never forget these memories. Our son worked in the Huntsville textile mill, which has cotton dust, for four mm-hmm. years. Now his lungs are damaged. He tried suing them. He is suing them. He did make changes in the cotton mill. But do you think he's, re- uh, uh, he's, he's got repercussions because of that? They're they're oh. they're they're harassing him, but he oh, doesn't okay. care. He says it'll make it better for the next person. And that's what matters, folks. Hang on, I'm going to get your comments on that clip. I believe we have another caller, Cliff. Yes, we have uh, Debbie from South Carolina has a comment. Debbie, thank you for calling in. You're live. Go ahead. Um, my name is Debbie, and I'm from Columbia, South Carolina. My loved one is at Lee, where they recently had the riot where eight inmates were killed. The conditions are very, very uh, horrible in the institution throughout South Carolina, and as Carol said, through the South. And my issue um, is with um, the parole board. Um, You know, the conditions are bad everywhere, and we also have a a uh, parole board that that has little governing or oversight, mm-hmm. and um, my loved one has been there for forty years, and he's been eligible for parole for twenty, and they won't let him go. He has a a very very good record. He has not had any kind of infraction in eleven years. He's a role model inmate. He's a very very good human being, and the parole board. He's been up eleven times, and they won't let him go. Don't let me see him either because for a brief time um, I worked as a contract employee at the Department of Corrections. And so he hasn't had a visit in 20 years because he's, I'm 64 and he's 58 and he has no one to visit him. I'm all he has. And um, there's just so many, there's the obvious mm-hmm. conditions and then there's the, the, um, the hidden stuff. There's so many barriers. There's so many things that we need to do beginning with um, the disparity in sentencing, with voting um, and and getting the right uh, DAs in office. People need to vote in November to vote um, for people um, who are going to stop this, supporting this mass incarceration. Mm -hmm. But I appreciate you letting me speak, and thank you for the show, and thank you for Carol Leonard. Yeah, I understand about the parole because our son is in the same position. And the lady who interviewed him says, we're not going to parole you because we know you're not going to come back. They only parole people like a revolving door who they know they're going to come back because it's all about the money. Oh, absolutely. Is Debbie there? So the issue in Texas is that here. Natalie, one more. That's why he won't come I'm going to get your comment here. The issue in Texas is that the Texas Board of Probation and Parole is overrun by the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. So if TDC gets money from the government for having an inmate, why would they release somebody if they can make money off of that person? So if they 
can separate the Board of Probation and Parole and the Department of Criminal Justice, then the parole board might be a little more unbiased mm. in their decisions. Debbie, are right. you still there? Yes, I'm here. Debbie, I'd like to get your information. We're going to try to see what we can do as an organization. Uh, you have not been able to see him for 20, did you say 20 years? Well, I'm not allowed to visit him because and uh, they have a law in South Carolina that if you've ever worked even as a contract employee for the department that you can't visit. Mm-hmm. I didn't work at the, I met him before um, I worked there. I've known him for 32 years. Um, and, um, mm-hmm. yeah, they they um, people have sued them. Uh, it's been all the way to the Supreme Court. And, um, you know, the state courts. Listen, in most, in most cases with situations like that, it's usually a time limit attached to it. Uh, say, for instance, if you were mm-hmm. volunteering, you got maybe two or three years that you can't do it, or a year in some cases, some states, but not an indefinite period of time. And the fact that, right. you, knew, the fact that you know him prior uh, we need to take a look at that. I'm not saying we're miracle workers, but I'll tell you what, uh, we're going to raise the issue. That's that's insane. So how many years has it been since you've, since you've talked in the entire – so they didn't let you in, period, since he's been incarcerated? Oh, no, we used to visit. We, we used oh. to visit. We, were, we visited um, for many years, and then we broke up because he's been incarcerated a long time. And then, um, then they went to a kiosk system, and you know when I went to visit him, it was 32 years ago when we first went, and so it was a paper visitation list. And um, I even wrote the director, and they wouldn't, they won't let me see him because okay. I used to work with the women. It didn't even work. I worked with the women. I never worked in any institution where he was. Leave your information if and if you can mm-hmm. with the. Uh, with the uh, folks on the uh, that that you called the number you called in, somebody should be able to get your information from you. So stay on the line. We're going to have somebody reach out to you, get your contact information. We're going to see what we can do uh, and who we okay. can talk. We, we, it, can, okay. it can't hurt tries an advocacy organization. Uh, some of our reach reaches all the way to Washington D.C. and members of Congress. Let's take a let's take a stab at that and see what we can do okay. because that's inhumane. It's not right. Uh, and that's what yeah. we're going to address, okay? Okay, thank you. Okay, I appreciate you know, it very much. Thank you. No, you're very, you're very, very welcome, and we're going to be in touch with you, okay? Get, get your information, okay. and I promise we'll call you, okay? Okay, thank you. Okay, take care. Debbie and is one of, our, uh, one of my group members, uh, Lamont, okay. and uh, she's been with us probably for the last year or so, and, okay. um, you know, as she she talked about the riot this past, I believe, believe it was in April in uh, Lee Correctional in South Carolina. And, you know, had we not had the cell phone pictures that came out and were were sent to us from the inside, I absolutely firmly believe that the narrative and the spin that um, SCDC uh, went to the media with would have been even greater than what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know there's a lot of controversy about cell phones in prisons and, and some of the inmates or uh, prisoners will um, use them for 
committing crimes and, and harassment. But I have to say, um, in my advocacy for the past several years, I have never experienced not one prisoner who has been disrespectful when contacting me about issues on the inside. Um, they are usually very level-headed. And what they are concerned about, they're not concerned about um, committing any more crimes. They're concerned about what's going on on the inside, their basic human rights that are being denied every single day. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I said to someone the other day, folks, uh, you know what? Prisoners are not looking. You look, you got, the, you got the few that are going to get out of hand. You got the folks that may act whatever. But guess what? If you start treating inmates like some human beings, you know, I was at a, a prison here in Colorado, again, for my wrongful conviction. And guess what the warden did one, one day? He sent his guards to us and he said, we're going to have steak dinners. You guys behave, stay out of trouble, you know, get along. He said, we'll, bring some, we'll have some steaks. Now, in prison, that's better than Christmas dinner. <laughs> and, uh, we, I'll tell you what, they went out there, all the guards were out there cooking the steaks, man. And we came to the chow hall, and I'll tell you what, folks had their feet up. They were smiling. They were talking. This is simple. It was a meal, a decent meal. Mm-hmm. And it changed the entire morale of the prison. You didn't hear about any, anything breaking off. You didn't hear about anything. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Guess what? I want that steak. I don't, I think me and old boy can get along. All right. Let me get that steak. They had steak, baked mm-hmm. potatoes, strawberry shortcake. I mean, all the good, good things that we take for granted as free folks. And I remember, you know, a little that. humanity goes a long way. Doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Our yeah. son works I mean, I now in the kitchen. Go ahead. Yeah, our son now works in the kitchen, and he does not sell the food because that's what a lot of people do is they hold the food back and give the prisons little and sell it for stamps. Our son does not do that, and they put him on the line. Well, when there's a good meal, he makes sure everybody gets what they're supposed to all the time, and when there's a good meal, if there's extra towards the end, he gives them. And he says, you know, when everybody's stomach is full, Everybody is happy. That's, I mean, we want the bare minimum humanity of eating, getting our stomachs full. Right. And, well, the thing with the food, though, is that it's so bad. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. when I worked there, we ate pretty much the same things that the inmates ate. And I can tell you, I went home and I was sick almost every day because mm-hmm. the food was overcooked. The vegetables were so boiled that you there was more nutrition in drinking the water they were cooked in than eating the vegetables themselves. There's no healthy food options in commissary. There's no raw fruits or vegetables. So the food, when there is the once in a, in a blue moon opportunity to have a decent meal, it's like everybody's going to go because they haven't had real good food for a while. Uh, yeah, and uh, look, that's the truth. And the, and the commissary industry in the prison system, mm-hmm. multi-millions of dollars. I right. can tell mm-hmm. you that from experience. Uh, and that's why, folks, you know, again, everything on commissary are cupcakes, Dunkin' Sticks, right. chips, 
Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, everything that came And it makes me so mad. Yeah. It makes me so mad because like, I can go to Walmart like to and there's an entire wall of, of veggie snack packs to choose from with fruits and vegetables and cheese and nuts. And they're all like a dollar, dollar and a half. But, it's, but nobody in prison can get anything remotely healthy of a snack anywhere. I can buy it at Walmart for a dollar. So I don't want to bring it into the to the industries. And I can guarantee you that if and if those who are incarcerated are given the option to get baby carrots, you know, that, that was another turning point for me was I was eating a bag of baby carrots one day and one of the offenders walked up to me and he said, man, it's been like seven years since I've seen a baby carrot. And I just like, no. I was like blown away. I was like, no. Something so simple you haven't seen in seven years, and I couldn't even finish my baby carrots. And it's like, bring in healthier options because people will eat them. I can guarantee you if you bring them, they're going to be eaten. I can guarantee it. I guarantee you, it. You want to hear some? Dave, go ahead, please. I got, you want to hear some quick figures about commissary in Texas? Yeah. In Texas, we have approximately 107 prisons, and they sold over $96 million in commissary. On top of that, we have what's called a quarterly gift package that you can have sent in. By law, they're supposed to allow any vendor to become a distributor of that, but they lock it down so you can only buy it from Commissary and Trust. Mm-hmm. The company that runs the website where you place those orders, yep. they made $1.85 million off of 300,000 transactions in the first partial year that they were in operation. And they don't do anything except maintain a website that you have to go through. $1.85 million just to do yeah. the transaction for you. That doesn't and count the actual purchases. Sure. Sure. And listen, I've seen guys come up, and I know about Dave, I know about the quarterly commissary where you get the, the stuff that, huh, they got chocolate chip cookies, uh, chips ahoy on that, on that particular package. And then you got the Christmas. <laughs> special package where you get Christmas mm-hmm. and chocolates and all that stuff. That figure, $96 million. That's mm-hmm. $96 million was, that, that was just off of daily purchases of soups, ice creams, and sodas, $96 million. And here's the thing about the quarterly packages in Texas. It's not like you can use secure pack access, you know, through uh, Keith corporation or anything. Here, you can only get things that are already sold on commissary. So if it's mm-hmm. not in commissary, you can't buy it. Mm-hmm. Your family oh, Listen, if folks. You, if you go through and say, hey. Go ahead, Dave. The, the, the family members, oh, if the family members choose these items and make these purchases, the, mm-hmm. the inmate gets to the window and they're, oh, we're out of all that uh, mm-hmm. today. You want some tuna instead? Or I actually mm-hmm. had them, and, and you have to actually uh, do exchanges for exact dollar amounts. So you sit there, right. and you have to pick and choose from all these different things to get the exact dollar amount that was spent. I actually had a commissary manager once tell me, do you want some, some three-cent stamps? What am I going to do with three-cent stamps? <laughs> what? That's how they wanted to rectify the situation because it's so poorly run. No, listen, folks. Yeah, but Sorry. you know, the more the more we, we show no, the more right. we show light on this and and the situation in the prisons, and the more we talk about it, the more we write about it, the sunlight it will get done. Listen but, to but, me. But the thing is, you say we that? know how to fix the issue. We know how to fix corrections in the United States. We know this. 
We mm-hmm. have had yeah. countless and countless of studies, and yet nothing is being fixed. And the reason well. is, as Dave just said, $96 million for one state. Mm-hmm. We've got big money in corrections. No big one's money. being corrected. If we look at Norway and Germany, the models yeah. of their prison system, we know what works. We've had our people go over there and check things out. Why are we not doing it here? Exactly. It's money. You know, that's it's a money yeah, it's a money maker. Yes, it, it is. The government more look, money to have a revolving door never of corrections the politics than to actually fix behind the money. There is no. always yeah. the politics that go behind the money. Listen to me very carefully. Can I expand on the Norway issue? Dave, give me one second. I'm going to let you get that. This is why, and I want you to tell everybody, folks, and Dave, I'm coming right back to you because I want you to expand your point on that. This is why every show here on AJC Radio going forward will be addressing the voices behind the wall. Listen, until we get the information out, until we, this conversation tonight is 100% essential. This conversation. To, to our listeners around the country to say, you know what, we need to do something. What you folks are, excuse me, what you folks are doing is commendable. Tell everybody, you know what, you need to tune in to AJC Radio Tuesday and Thursday nights because guess what, we're pulling the mask off the Department of Corrections. That's what we're doing. And this conversation, and, and for what Carol is doing, what Natalie's doing, Dave, and, and all the folks that are saying, look, we see something here. We need to make a change, and we need to do what we need mm-hmm. to do. Dave? Go ahead with your point as far as that as far as the point you wanted to make. Well, I, you know, Norway is the best example. Norway uh, in 2009 spent approximately 286 million dollars to build one prison that housed 286 people. They spent a million dollars per person to build this facility. They made every effort possible to make sure it didn't feel like a prison, that the actual mm-hmm. sentence was being separated from your family, being distanced from your family. The officers were encouraged to actually participate in intramural sports, play chess with them, treat them like people. And they gave them education. They gave them training. They gave them good food. And they spent $286 million to do it. As a result, they have approximately an 8% recidivism rate through the entire country for all crimes. Wow. 8%. Awesome. In the United States, in the United States, I think we have a 36% recidivism rate. Texas claims to have a 24% recidivism rate. Wow. They, they have a budget of $4 billion. One year they actually went to get $300 million more to actually not provide education, not provide air conditioning, mm-hmm. not treat people like humans, try and distance themselves and focus on punishment. And as a result, mm-hmm. we have one of the highest recidivism rates in the world because there is no corrections, there is no rehabilitation. It is just strictly punishment. This is not the 1800s. And we also people. have the highest. This is not a Quaker prison. Right. Right. Uh, hey, Dave, right. And with- we also have the highest population in the country. So that the highest prison population coupled with the highest recidivism rate in the country should tell you that the Texas Department of Criminal Justice is an epic failure and they don't want to either acknowledge it or they have acknowledged it and they don't want to accept it to change it. Because once well, again, the entire they make prison no money system doing in the United doing. States is a failure. Absolutely yeah. right. Absolutely right. Four billion dollars, but we're cooking our inmates mm-hmm. in yeah. ovens. Well, it, it's a failure as a correctional institution. It's it, 
Go ahead, Dave. It's a failure as a correctional. I was going to say it's a failure as a correctional industry, uh, or as a, a correctional institution. But is a booming business. It's quite successful. Mm-hmm. Four point three billion dollars for one state. That's a pretty that's good a, budget. That's that's and you know and what? And that's what I was saying earlier. Is we've deviated so far from the original founding principles of what corrections should be that it's just a completely different world almost. I mean, if you look I, at I, the history I, 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 um, of, of penitentiaries, the system is working the exact way that it was intended to work. Well, and in the new era, I'm talking about like the penitentiary era where it was houses of, of actual repentance and corrections. Right. The original right. they always been were supposed to be to correct. I can tell you before, I, di- I, di- I did see a, a research or a study, I believe it was on National Geographic some years ago. Uh, and they talked about how the prison system was implemented. And to Natalie's point, what they did initially, you, you know, when they used to have indeterminate sentences, right? That mm-hmm. indeterminate sentence was something that was not to abuse and to keep people locked up. They said this was, the, this was what they believed. This was way before I was ever thought about being born. But uh, what actually happened <laughs> was they said, look, we're going to give these guys who commit a crime, we're going to give them an indeterminate sentence and say, look, if you do well, if you do what you need to do, indeterminate says I can leave early. It says, you know what, this, this, this inmate came in, they, provide, they uh, did what they needed to do. You didn't have a lot of the violence, a lot of the stuff that's going on by guards at that. I'm sure something was going on, but not to the level that it is today. And you know what? They said in that study, the Department of Corrections took a position of power, turned it, and abused it. And that's why right mm-hmm. now in our country, the Department of Corrections and, and sentencing, that judges are sentencing guys to indeterminate sentences, has nothing to do with we're going to let you get out. Actually, if you have an indeterminate sentence, you're probably not getting out in a lot of cases and in a lot of states. It's not. And Correct. This is, Nat- this is the Natalie's point. Uh, a lot of sex offenders are given indeterminate sentences. And th- I knew a guy that was in prison. Uh, with me doing my wrongful conviction, he was sentenced to two days to life. Two days <laughs> to life. Now, the mental anguish of that, every year you come for parole, he, and when I met him, he was 27 years in. 27 oh. years in. And, but his sentence says two days to life. So I agree with Natalie on that point, that you know what? Repentance and saying, look, they can change, they're going to do better, we'll give them another opportunity, has nothing to do with the system of what it is today. Nothing. Because guess what? You want to give me a degree, but you're not going to give me a job when I walk out. You know why? Because I'm a felon. Mm-hmm. You're not going to give me an apartment, or you're not going to give me a house. Why? So you want me to go to college in, 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 uh, in prison, you want to give me a graduation GED party with a cake and a cup of punch. And say, congratulations, son. But when you walk out, guess what? Nobody wants to even look at you. Nobody mm-hmm. wants to even hire you. That's a serious problem in this country. And, and that the departments is don't do anything to even yes. try to, to prepare you for release. I, I know no. specifically in Texas, they give you, what is it, David, like $50 and a bus ticket or something like that? And they expect you to survive what? after being in prison for however long you've been in there. They, they don't give you, they don't prepare you at all for the outside world. They just show you the door and that's it. Yeah. So that's another issue yeah, they give, they, that, you know. You're right. 
Dave? Yeah, you get fifty. You get fifty. You get fifty dollars if you're on parole, and another fifty if you report to your parole officer, and then a hundred dollars if you discharge your sentence. And what's even worse about this is they they just budgeted for this whole reentry program to help people to actually reintegrate. And they're supposed to give you a state ID and your social security card and all the papers you need. And the vast majority of the time, I, in, in a five-year period that I tracked it, not one person did we ever know who was uh, uh, discharged or paroled actually received the documents they needed when they got into the world. Wow. So if you get out and you don't have a state ID, now you have to prove – and what's funny, you have to prove that you've been a resident of Texas for 30 days. And they're not accepting your uh, incarceration papers as proof of, of residency. So you don't have anything to prove that you're a resident, which means you can't get a driver's license. You can't get your Social Security card. You can't get your job. You can't do anything. So if you're on parole or if you're a sex offender who's required to register within seven days, you don't have the required papers to do any of that. So now Thanks. you're in violation of the law because they threw you out to the wolves. And you're going back to jail. And check this out. Really quick, I want to make yep. this point. Let, yes, yesterday, Oprah Winfrey was on 60 Minutes. Uh, I was trying to find the clip. It wasn't out there yet. 60 Minutes at Pelican Bay. Those two words mm-hmm. right there terror uh, to anybody that's going to do time at Pelican Bay. And they were talking about solitary confinement. This is what is disheartening. Now, the perception of our society is to perceive to the public or to display this notion to the public that you know what, they have three meals a day, and, they, and Oprah's down there talking to the guy about solitary confinement and, and why he's down there, and, and apparently through the whole investigation, it showed that solitary confinement simply was insane torture. That's all it was. So, so they, they leave solitary confinement and go up to the living in general population. Now, furthermore, the captain and the major and the warden has had all of those inmates scrub those walls clean those units so when you walk in you think oh my goodness so oprah steps up in the general population and says oh this is so much better than solitary confinement spend a night there because that's a, that's an illusion and what's pro- the problem is it is how we have been programmed as a society and i remember when i was wrongfully convicted locked up at sterling penitentiary here in colorado they said the brass is coming down the captain came out and said lamont we need to clean the kitchen man and uh, we got the brass coming down. We got to get this thing looking like it needs to look. But if you're doing it the right way, there's no special treatment that has to happen. Why is it special now? You know why? Because you got a heads up there coming. That is the illusion. That is, that is what people think. Oh, man, they're getting three meals a day. They get medical care. It is a lie. It is a lie. And I can tell you from experience, I lived it. I walked it. I know exactly how it works. And that, listen, that's well, one thing. Pretty- Colorado. Go ahead. We are so, our society is so gung-ho on punishment, retribution. You know, um, if you do something wrong, we're going to punish you. You know, um, we used to laugh a few years ago, you know, if you do something wrong in Texas, they'll kill you. I mean, you know, um, but that's how it is. We, well, don't, do we wrong, don't want to yeah. we don't want to acknowledge that we have better ways that can work. Restorative justice works. Restorative justice helps to heal the victim, helps to heal the offender, and helps to heal society. 
And these are things that we need to be looking at. No, I agree with you. Restorative justice also, you know, will decrease recidivism and future crime. And it's a shame that we're not using these models widely throughout the United States. Listen, folks, I I wish... Listen, I wish we could talk all night and never log off. This has been an mm-hmm. outstanding show. Listen, I invite all of you to call back. This is going to be our topic of discussion for an indefinite period of time. As we become the voice of those that don't have one, this show is dedicated to the RP5. Who are they? David Banks, Clinton Stewart, Demetrius Harper, Dave Zapolo, and Kendrick Barnes. Another group of men, fine men who have been a victim of a system that brought injustice in their lives, in the lives of their families. We're going to be talking about them. We're going to be talking about more of these stories. More of the, folks, tell everybody, you, I'm telling you, all of you have been a wonderful um, piece to this discussion tonight, and I appreciate you guys taking time. I want you guys to leave all your information with me. I'm going to be in contact with you. We're going to partner together and get the word out. If you guys want to partner with us, you have a family now here at Agency Radio and a Just Cause. Let's join together to inform the world in this nation of what's going on behind the wall. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we are out of time. It's been a pleasure, folks. Thank you so very much, and we hope to hear from you again. This, this show is to be continued Thursday night. Uh, we hope that you guys tune in. And, Dave, uh, thank you for your input. You brought a lot to the, to, to the table. We appreciate all of you guys, okay? Take care. And this is AJC Radio, folks. The voice behind the wall. We're just getting started. Good night, America. Till next time. A Miami-Dade juvenile detention officer is facing serious federal charges tonight, nearly three years since the teenager died while in custody. CBS 4's Hank Tester live at the federal courthouse in downtown Miami with details. Hank. Well, late this afternoon, that corrections officer was fired. And Rick, that's absolutely the least of his problems tonight. Let's take a look. Within seconds, one of the juveniles punched ER in his face as ER was attempting to sit in the chair. Several other juveniles kicked him, joining the attack, violently punching him. The victim referred to as ER. E. Lloyd Revolt died as a result of, according to the feds, an orchestrated beating that took place in August of 2015 at the Miami-Dade Juvenile Detention Center. Now an indictment of juvenile corrections officer Antoine Leonard Johnson. As you heard this morning, Antoine Leonard Johnson was arrested by the FBI without incident. It is a dirty, not-so-little secret detailed by a CBS4 Jim DeFeedy report. Corrections officers bribing juvenile inmates with candy, special privileges, even fast food burgers. This to beat juveniles who disrespected the corrections officers. Jailhouse justice directed by, in this case, Officer Antoine Johnson. Here's how it works. So usually uh, they'll bribe us with honey buns and stuff like that, you know, with like Skittles or something and be like, okay, look, bro. This kid disrespecting me, I don't like him. The indictment reads in part, the bribery beatdowns were commonly utilized by other juvenile detention officers. 
Officer Johnson now faces up to life in prison for ordering the attack that killed ER. The beatings resulted for Officer Johnson two federal charges of violation of rights, in this case leading to the death of A-Lord Revolt. From the state of Florida, the behavior detailed in this indictment is appalling and inexcusable. In response to today's findings, the department taking immediate action to terminate this employee. Well, Johnson was in federal court uh, this afternoon where prosecutors asked for $250,000 bail. That's the very latest. I'm Hank Tester, CBS 4 News Tonight. It's back to you.